I think, you know, freedom isn't free. And I know in the moment, it seems like it's the easier path. It's the path of least resistance to not do anything. But think about the future that you're creating for the next generation. Think about how much worse things will be five years from now if you don't take a stand now. Welcome back to The Feds, insiders bringing accountability, integrity, and reform to a broken bureaucracy. I am Stephanie Weidel. Our mission through this podcast is to bring to the attention of every American the fact that there have been, right before our eyes, incredible unconstitutional acts done to our military, federal employees, contractors, and every American citizen. When one looks at the truth of the past four years in the face, one cannot deny that there has been wrongdoing. So some people say, why should it matter? We're through it, but are we? Over the past couple months, our guests have told their stories of what they have experienced, but also what they still see happening. We cannot be on the other side of the problem unless we've made a change to fix it. There have been little changes, and that is what our organization is actively seeking. Big reform and incredible accountability so this never happens again, all from the inside out. Use the information provided in these podcasts to go out and stand loudly. Ask questions of your supervisors. Talk with your coworkers and neighbors about the constitutional violations we see. Please share these podcasts with those around you. Also, like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms where you listen or watch. These little things help boost our platform and get our message out to a wider audience. Welcome to The Feds, insiders bringing accountability, integrity, and reform to a broken bureaucracy. At Feds for Freedom, we value constructive dissent and healthy debate. The views and opinions shared in today's episode are those of the speaker alone and do not express the views or opinions of the U.S. government or any other employer. Join me today as we talk with Feds for Freedom's president, Marcus Thornton. We talk in detail about the retaliation he has been met with since forming Feds for Freedom, how he has responded, and what the Supreme Court decision on Feds for Freedom's lawsuit means. We discuss the organization itself, what makes its members so valuable to the American public, and how you can join their ranks. Thanks so much for coming, Marcus. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Briefly tell us how, uh, remind us how you started in the federal government. Yeah. So I've been with the federal government for over 15 years now. It started back uh, when I was in, in university. I actually dropped out of university to to pursue my my career with Homeland Security and to further my career with Homeland Security. And so I um, you know, started with Homeland Security, uh, was, was there for nine years. Most of that time as a Border Patrol agent and got to do all kinds of amazing, fun stuff over there. You know, I spent a couple of years on, on an air crew working the border. And then uh, my last assignment before, before leaving Homeland Security was as a canine handler. And um, got to work on the U.S.-Mexico border and then down in, in, in uh, Puerto Rico for a while as well in the Virgin Islands. So had a lot of fun there, but... Yeah, at the end of the day, I wanted to, I knew I wanted to be able to travel and see more of the world uh, as I was serving my country. And so I joined the State Department as a political officer in 2016. And since then, I've done tours in Brazil and uh, Nigeria 
and you know most recently in Kyrgyzstan uh, in Central Asia have have had a blast there as well you know I've I've done temporary assignments a lot more places all over the world and I've had a lot of fun in in doing what I do you know right now I'm in between assignments and we're just waiting I know we'll get into this a little bit more later in the interview but hoping that I have the, the opportunity to continue that. Yes, uh, you and several others grabbed your rights and formed Feds for Freedom, formerly Feds for Medical Freedom, when the need arose because of the uh, COVID-19 vaccine mandates. And Feds for Freedom lawsuit got the injunction for all, or the stopping of the mandate, for all federal employees in January of 2022. And this was an incredible win which saved hundreds of thousands of people's jobs, including my husband's. And I thank you for that. Well, I, I, I appreciate the, the gratefulness, but, you know, I, I just did what, you know, what anybody would do. I, I saw a situation. I, and initially it started out as, you know, me and, and a couple of colleagues in the State Department and a couple of former colleagues in DHS. And the idea was, well, you know, nobody else is standing up for us, so uh, we're going to pull our resources, see if we can hire a lawyer together, and and do what we can to 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 push back on this. Um, never imagining that, you know, in under six months, it would grow from five or six people to thousands of people all across every corner of the government, and end up with a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. And we're going to be talking about that case a little bit later on. Later, after 2022, or around that time, you were sent to Kyrgyzstan. And um, after you were in Kyrgyzstan in our last interview, and after our interview, some things happened while you were there. And the last video we've seen of you was you in the airport, uh, the Bishkek airport in uh, Kyrgyzstan. You were being curtailed. You were being brought back without a, a, another assignment. So tell us what happened to bring you to that point. So the, the closest thing I can compare it to that a lot of our listeners might understand would be if I were a military officer being removed from my position for loss of confidence. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds because it's still, we're, we're challenging it in, in, through all the legal processes that we can. But essentially the State Department was very upset with what I had done with the lawsuits that I had brought both the, the case that went to the Supreme Court as well as lawsuits more specific to the State Department and against State Department leadership for religious discrimination in the way that the COVID vaccine mandates were, were implemented and enforced. And uh, that ruffled a few feathers. So they punished me in the harshest way that they could, which meant removing me from my position throwing me into total limbo. And it, it, it was a really rough period. The last few months, I know that a lot of people who are listening today have probably noticed that I've been a, a little bit incognito, you know, trying to, to, yes, to, to fly low um, <laughs> and stay under the radar the last few months. But it, it's, been, it's been really tough. I was shipped back to Dulles, even though I don't have a house here in the D.C. area, shipped to Dulles, kicked to the curb, and told, you know, we, we know that you're, you're on sick leave now. You're going to be on sick leave until December, but we're not going to give you per diem. We're only going to send you to 
to Dulles. We're not going to send you to your home of record in Kansas. Um, we're not going to ship your belongings to Kansas. We're going to ship them to D.C. And if you want them shipped from there to Kansas, you're going to have to pay several thousand dollars. Yeah, they shipped me and my stuff to D.C. and, and kicked me to the curb and said, good luck. Uh, we'll see you whenever you come off of sick leave. And, you know, that was really the lowest point in, in my career as a federal, as a, as a public servant. I, I got no support from, from anybody in my chain of command uh, as I was going through the, the medical issues that I was dealing with. Uh, and then at the same time, as I was dealing with those medical issues, being forced to pack up everything that I own uh, and ship it back to the States and then landing in D.C. and having to rent a car and, and find my way back home on, on my own dime. But I'm back now, back on duty, hoping that, that I can find another assignment overseas and be able to continue my career. And that's why you're in D.C. to apply for those next positions. It is, yeah. So have you gotten your staff? I did, yeah. I finally received it when I arrived here in D.C. And, you know, I just sat in a warehouse until I got back. So, How does this make you feel about the Department of State? Well, it, it doesn't change the way that I feel about my job or about serving the American people. I still love my job. I, I love every, every day that I, I am able to go to work and do what I can to keep Americans safe and to promote U.S. interests abroad. I love it, and, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. But it does make me worry seeing the politicization, polarization within our federal agencies, and particularly at the upper levels of government, the weaponization of the government against citizens, and that includes against people within the government who may disagree ideologically. And I think when you look back at the, at the COVID vaccine mandates, what happened and, and what they we're trying to do and are still trying to do is an ideological purge that may be religious, it may be political, but regardless, it's ideological. And, you know, there's a desire to push out from federal service anybody who doesn't conform to what those in charge feel is their vision politically or religiously. I was talking with a friend about this recently that America, everyone says, is the land of the free, the home of the brave. But we saw a completely different America in the past couple of years. People were not brave in standing up for what they knew was right. Most of most everyone, most mostly, um, did not stand and for various reasons. And but the home of home of the free well. How has the freedom changed? I mean, freedom is different right now than it was like even 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and what's, what's a little scary about this is that America is still promoted as such, as free and brave, but it's not that way at all right now. And you have pointed that out, and that's what scares them. Well, and... You know, I still think that America is, is the most free country on earth, and the people of America still have a very deep-seated desire for freedom and to promote freedom in any way that they can. I, I don't think that that has changed. What I, what I do think has changed is, you know, anytime the American people or, or people of any, any country in the world cede a freedom to their government, it's almost impossible to get that freedom back. 
And over the past two years, we've, we've seen a lot of freedoms ceded, yielded over to the government that, you know, five years ago, we never would have dreamed that, that we, would, we would do. But we've also seen over the last two years incredible stories of courage and bravery of the people who have been willing to risk everything to stand up for freedom and to say, no, you know, there, there, there is a line beyond which you cannot cross and, and we're not going to allow that to happen. That has been incredibly encouraging for me to see. And, you know, it's, it's come at a very heavy price, especially for those who have led the charge. I'm no exception to that. You know, I, I have paid an incredibly heavy price, but my story is also not unique. You know, there, there are, are literally dozens of people that, that have essentially lost everything, you know. In, in some cases, they've lost their, their families, their loved ones, relationships with immediate family members, marriages. Um, you know, they've, they've lost reputations, careers. You know, I've had to, over, over the last, there was a period of, of about 18 months that I was placed on leave without pay four times, without justification any, any of those times. And, and at the end of the day, um, you know, the government had to pay me back pay for those periods. But it did create this financial, these financial lurches and uncertainties that, you know, at the end of the day, I had to take out, I had to make a significant, significant withdrawals from my retirement accounts in order to cover the financial uncertainty, legal expenses, moving expenses. And, you know, that, that, that story is not unique. And so, you know, people have given up everything. But, but I don't have any regrets. And I know that others who have, have stood in the gap and, and said, no, you know, we, we will do whatever we can to, to continue to stand up for freedom, they, they don't regret what they've done. Just so our listeners do know, we've seen within the federal government, um, federal, most federal employees' jobs have remained, have remained through this. But there are many, especially leaders of the movements to, to grab hold of our freedoms and use them, have seen a lot of retaliation uh, that we're talking about today with Marcus, and their jobs are in jeopardy. So this is happening, and uh, it continues to happen. And, and, and on that note, I want to make something very clear to, to the listeners you know, our, our organization and our efforts saved over 400,000 jobs over the last two years. And, you know, parallel, I guess you could call them sister efforts within the military and, and other parts of our society similarly saved hundreds of thousands of jobs. But were it not for those who stood up and risked everything, those freedoms would be gone, those jobs would be gone. And so I, I really want to encourage everybody to think about what you can do to stand up and to, to help in the fight for liberty and the fight for our freedoms because the only thing standing between tyranny and freedom, you know, there, there's, there's an old saying, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And that, that is definitely true today. It, it only takes a small handful of people standing up and saying no to stop the insanity sometimes, but you do have to stand up and, and take that stand. Yes. So when you, when you see a clearer picture of the corruption being retaliated against by standing up for your rights, um, it's easy to become really bitter and jaded. And I, I do not see that in you. So how have you handled it? What have you relied on? 
It hasn't been easy. But I think, you know, the way that I've handled it is by focusing on what it is that I'm fighting for. Because I, I have no regrets. Uh, if even knowing the heavy costs that I would have to pay, I would go back and I would do it all over again. And I think most who have, who have led the charge would, would say the same thing. You, you have to rely on your faith, your, your family, your friends. And, you know, sometimes your family and friends will, will let you down, even they'll turn on you. But for me, at the end of the day, it's faith. And, and knowing that what I'm doing is the right thing morally, spiritually, and having that comfort in, in knowing that whatever short-term suffering or pain I may go through, in the end, it'll be worth it all. So how has this experience changed your long-term career goals? Well, it's changed everything. I mean, my, and again, I'm not the only one, you know, it's, it's happened all across, all across the movement, but my, my reputation, professional reputation has been absolutely destroyed. My career opportunities, uh, career trajectory have been completely derailed. And, you know, I, I had planned to stay when this all started. My plan was to stay in the government as long as I could and serve the American people. Now, I, I would still like to do that, but I don't know if that option is going to be open to me. I'm only nine years away from being eligible to retire if I wanted to. I never thought that I would be one of those, those employees who was counting the days until they were eligible to retire. And I'm still not quite there, but I don't know. And I think a lot of it depends on how the political tides shift and whether or not they, they shift um, later this year. My, my hope is that, is that the American people will embrace a path forward that focuses on freedom. But in the interim, I, I don't know what's going to happen with my career. And I have just have to learn. I have to learn and have learned to some extent to embrace that uncertainty. Your motto is obviously hold the line. You end your um, calls often with this phrase, and you always end your emails in this phrase. So what does that phrase mean to you, hold the line? Yeah, hold the line and honor first. To me, hold the line is representative of, um, let me start with honor first, because to me, honor first is doing the right thing. Honor is, is doing the right thing, even when nobody's looking and placing that, that desire to do the right thing above all else, no matter what the cost. And no matter whether you're standing alone or standing with others and doing that. Whereas hold the line does indicate more of a sense of community, that you're working together with others to pursue a common goal. It implies being vigilant because in order to hold the line, you have to be aware of what's going on, not only right in front of you, but also to your left and to your right and behind you. It's about sticking with it and in this case, holding our freedoms no matter what gets thrown at you. And I've been very blessed over the last two years to have such a strong group of like-minded patriots standing side by side with me holding that line. Yes. So a lot of people want change, though most won't do anything about it. They complain, yet they just cannot seem to act. What would you say to those people? I think, you know, freedom isn't free. And I know in the moment, it seems like it's the easier path. It's the path of least resistance to not do anything. 
But think about the future that you're creating for the next generation. Think about how much worse things will be five years from now if you don't take a stand now. And we saw this with um, with the vaccines. People were like, "Oh, it's it's just it's just one shot." You know, I I, I I'm going to do this to save my job. Well, let's let's go back even further. They're like, "Oh, well, you know, it's it's just it's just a mask." You know, I'll, 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 even though I don't. It, it violates my conscience to do this. I'm going to do it to save my job. And then the, the vaccines came along. And they're like, well, I'll just get the shot to save my job. And then the boosters came along. And they're like, well, I'll just get the booster so I can save my job. And you keep giving up more and more and more of what you believe and more of yourself until at some point there's nothing, there's nothing left. The same thing with the lockdowns. At first they were like, well, you know, you can... You can go out, but you need to, to do social distancing or whatever. And then they were like, well, now we're going to close some businesses and leave other businesses open. And then in some places, like, I, I don't know if we ever saw this here in the U.S., but in, certainly in other countries, they, were, they, they started to put into place curfews. You're only allowed to go out during these certain hours or during these certain days. Or you're only allowed to go out if you have a pass. Or you're only allowed to go out if you have a vaccine passport. And so when, you know, the, the worst tyranny is the tyranny that's, that's carried out believing that, that it's being done for the good of the people. And, you know, it's, it's always born, I think, out of good intentions, but those good intentions can go completely off track very quickly. Yeah, that's right. So late in 2023, the Supreme Court ruled to vacate the injunction that the Feds for Freedom had secured in their lawsuit. And the argument was that the mandate was no longer in place, and so you don't need an injunction anymore. They did not hear the case, but the Feds for Freedom versus Biden lawsuit was made moot. What are the repercussions of this decision? We're still pursuing that case in, in the lower courts for now. There, there is still an opportunity for the lower courts to weigh in and decide whether or not the um, the decisions made by the lower courts will stand and and potentially be able to be used as case law in future cases. But I think the real takeaway here is that the government is not letting up. They're they're not going to stop. And you know we saw the Department of Justice fight this case tooth and nail all the way to the end because they wanted to preserve the power or the perceived power to be able to do the same thing in the future. And do you think they will? I think they will. Uh, you know, maybe not specific to, to COVID, but certainly, uh, you know, when, when you look at other issues, there are so many issues that we're, we're fighting in the federal government right now when it comes to infringement of our constitutional rights. Um, as an organization, we're, we're, we're continuing to fight. And the, what happened with the mandates was just a symptom of the underlying broken system. It was an unaccountable bureaucracy that's completely out of control, unresponsive to congressional inquiries. Um, and, you know, all of the systems that were in place to make sure that freedoms weren't violated failed. And our goal as an organization is to, to take on some of these issues and to say, no, you know, there, there are still things, there are still freedoms that are, that are worth fighting for and standing up for. And that's the beauty of our organization is that we have members all across the government in, in every, every corner of federal service 
employees, contractors. And I don't know that there's ever been an organization like that. And we're in a very unique position to be able to see what's happening across the whole of government and to tackle those issues, not only on an agency by agency basis, but also on sort of a, a, a government wide basis. Yeah, all and, from and, the inside out. All from the inside out. And so, you know, you have hundreds of organizations that are seeking to reform the government or to promote good governance from the outside in. We're unique in that we're the only ones fighting from the inside out. Yeah, that's a very, very good point of, of what Feds for Freedom brings to the country that no other organization can bring. It's a group of federal employees, employees that got together to take hold of their rights and use them. It's not just a group of, of architects or naval architects or um, scientists or whatever. It's, it's across the entire Border government. Border agents, FBI agents. That's right. We just... All we want is accountability and reform within the government, which is what every American should be seeking at this point. Yep. So how does it make you feel when you see donations for organizations like ours, um, which who are still paying off their legal fees from their lawsuits, um, decrease? And when you see people give up when you have sacrificed so much? It's it's. It's a little bit hard to to accept, and I know that people have short attention spans. As as Americans in general, we have sh very short attention spans, and so a lot of people are like, "Oh, you know, it was it was pandemic. That's that's done. It's over with. Let's move on with life." But the only thing standing between tyranny on any any issue and freedom is, you know, w within the federal workforces, is people like you and I that are willing to stand up, and so. You know, we're, we're expanding the fight. We're, we're fighting a lot of other issues, um, and we're going to continue to do that. But we do need the, the financial support of people. We need, we need time. We need money. We're a 100% volunteer organization. I don't get any compensation. None of the board members do. We're, we're run, you know, exclusively on, on a volunteer basis. But we do have legal bills, and those legal bills add up and expenses. And we would love to hire, for example, an executive director to help us with the day-to-day -day operations um, so that it doesn't take such a heavy toll on on the time and emotions and health of of the board members. But we've got to have donations to be able to do that. And and I'm hoping and, and confident that people will step up. I think one of the other issues that we've had to deal with is the censorship. You know, whether it's shadow banning or or outright open censorship of our organization uh, by the social media platforms, by the um, by the the legacy media. Uh, nobody wants to allow us to have a voice, even though we represent the voices of hundreds of thousands of others within the government ranks. And, and so I think a lot of people would open their wallets and would help us with their time and with their money if they, if they even knew that, that we were fighting the fight that we are. But that's hard to do when the very government that you're challenging in court is bringing the entirety of their resources to bear against you and, and to, to make sure that your voice is never heard. Let me say, I just got involved this past summer. So it's been like nine months. And I was from afar, following closely, but still from afar, not really getting involved because of children. They just take a lot of time. But um, when I started getting involved, I saw the mammoth that we're facing and how much work it is to fight this. And how much you all have put in your time and energy, your 
physical, emotional, spiritual selves into this. And I have I've just a renewed appreciation and thankfulness for what you all have done. And that spurred me to to work even harder um, because you all need uh, need more, more of us to stand up and work because it it's so much. I mean, running an organization like this is is something else. So I I see that. And listeners, just hear he, hear my words. We're, it's you know, it's look, hard. Look, look at any federal government employee union. Um, I think the smallest ones have probably a budget of at least a couple million dollars a year. We're working on a tiny fraction of that sort of budget, and we're producing results for for the people that we represent far above and beyond what any union has done for them. That's absolutely right. I remember in uh, meetings talking about the unions and how they have done nothing to stand up for the employees' rights. And, and there, you know, there are some exceptions. There are local, lo- there are union locals that, that did stand with us, you know, supported us in the lawsuit, added their names to the lawsuit. Um, and so there are exceptions here and there, but by and large, they took heavy fire from their national union leadership for taking that stand. I remember someone bringing up, would Feds for Freedom become a union? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I love the idea, but I don't know. It's, that takes a, lot of, a yeah. lot of resources and we're not quite there. Nope. It would be nice. It would be nice. It's a nice thought. Maybe someday we'll get there. This organization was born in a time of crisis. Um, so how did many of the members respond that encouraged you to keep going? You know, for everything that I've gone through, I've been very blessed to have people who supported me and supported the other leaders in the organization and in whatever way that they could. And, and that looks different for each person. You know, for some people, they don't have time that they can donate, but they, they're willing to open their wallet and, and, you know, put their money where their mouth is and help us pay the attorneys that are fighting these fights for us. Other people are, you know, maybe on a, a GS9 salary and single income household and don't have the financial resources, but they open up, you know, their, their time and donate whatever and, you know, spend hours every week volunteering for the organization. Um, and then other people, you know, provide moral support, encouraging, even if they can't donate their time or their money, they, they make sure to send messages of encouragement and also, you know, share with their family and friends the work that we're doing. They, they share our social media posts. They share our podcast episodes, those around them. And so there are a lot of different ways that people can help. It, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, and as, uh, as we've heard James Kearney or Car- Carney, James Carney, come on and talk um, on this podcast about the power of prayer and to have people uh, willing to pray for our organization daily and weekly we would definitely encourage and appreciate those prayers. Yeah, for, for those who believe in the Bible, you know, it says that what we're wrestling against isn't flesh and blood. It's, there's a whole other world out there that you can't see with the naked eye if you believe the Bible. And so I, I believe that this fight is no exception. And, you know, we definitely need all the prayers we can get. Are we still in a time of crisis? Yes. I didn't have I I didn't even finish the question. Yes. <laughs> and how are you seeing it? Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, what they attempted was was an 
was it was a, a purge of the federal ranks, and that continues today. And they'll they'll pursue that by whatever means they can. And so we're seeing this in the hiring process, the recruiting process, the promotions processes, the annual evaluations that employees and, and people have to go through uh, within the contracting community. We're seeing continued pressure from those who manage contracts within the government against those companies to conform to really the political agenda, a political agenda that only serves one, one segment of the United States. And our goal as an organization is to bring federal service whether as a direct employer or as a contractor, back to a place where we can focus on our shared interests and focus on the values that we all hold as hold dear as Americans and fight those fights without making the federal workforce this polarized, politicized force that's used against its own people to pursue a political agenda. Do you think there will be another medical crisis? I think it's possible. We're, we're that, that they, you know, over the past two years, a lot of people have gotten very wealthy over the crisis. And uh, not only that, but a lot of power has been concentrated in the hands of a few. And so I, I think that on the one hand, they, you know, there was some surprise at how many people stood up against it. But on the other hand, a lot of people didn't stand up against it. And so I think, if anything, what we've seen over the last two or three years has been sort of a test run to to do something even harsher next time around. And I think, I don't know how that will play out, but I think people have to be vigilant. So we changed our name from Feds for Medical Freedom to Feds for Freedom because we saw COVID was just a small part of the illegality and corruption that is in the government right now. The organization is made up of thousands of members who exemplify integrity and desire to reform the government all from the inside out. So as an organization, what is Feds for Freedom doing to combat the corruption? We're doing a lot of things. We're, we're fighting. Uh, we filed lawsuits against religious discrimination within the federal government particularly in the way that the COVID vaccine mandates were implemented. We're, we're continuing to file additional lawsuits on other issues that are being used um, as weapons to pursue a political agenda. Yes. And Would you like to discuss that a little bit? Yeah. So, so one of the lawsuits that will be filed in the near future will be regarding freedom of speech issues uh, within the federal government. And I don't, I, you know, don't want to spoil the surprise too much. Uh, but for those who are listening who are members, I would encourage you to to join our call um, later later this month in January of 2023, and um, we'll go into some detail about what those lawsuits are and how they can how you can get involved. Um, if you're not a member, go to our website today and sign up, and you'll get the invitation to participate in that meeting. So, what does Feds for Freedom provide to the country that no other organization can? We provide the opportunity for people to be part of reforming the government for better from the inside out, to make the government a nonpartisan place that truly values the diversity that, our, that, that comes from the people of our country. You know, we, we offer our members an opportunity to, to get to know other like-minded people within the federal workforce, uh, both employees and contractors. You know, we have local events, local chapters, as well as, you know, occasionally we, we get involved at the national level. And so 
there's nowhere else that people can go to find that sense of community within their peers in the federal government. Uh, and we have a lot of great plans for the future. We'll be rolling those out over the coming months. But at, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it goes back to the founding of our organization. It was a small group of people coming together saying, individually, we can't do this. But we know if we pull our resources and our time and our money and, and our efforts, we can accomplish more. And that is what our organization is about. And that's what we'll continue to be about. I have always been so impressed with the members of our organization, how, I mean, they're in big places. They're, and you can just talk with them. Um, they're, um, they're so talented in their fields and they've come together and helped each other. The collaboration has, in some cases, I've seen save people's lives. It truly is an incredible opportunity um, to become a member of the organization and to, to speak with these people, participate, be part of that collab collaboration. So uh, Fits for Freedom has just rolled out their paid membership program. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we have two different levels. The first is the Patriot tier for $17.76 a month. And then it's a great number. It's a great number. It's my favorite <laughs> number. Uh, the best ever. Uh, and then the the we also have a, a higher level called the President's Circle, and that is $1,776 per year. Again, for, for both levels, people have the opportunity to be part of a, a bigger community, uh, a bigger effort, and to to fund those those efforts. But it also gives them the opportunity to to network, to have access to members member uh, exclusive resources. You know, back during the the mandates, we were giving uh, support to our members that that nobody else was, not the unions, uh, not anybody else, and we'll continue to do that and. You know, we have regular calls with our our legal counsel that the members can join. A lot of, you know, every every call that we have, members have questions about how to, you know, how to approach a certain situation, what what they can do, how they can help preserve their, their own jobs or, or their own freedoms or the freedoms of, of others. And we as an organization do what we can to provide them the resources that they need to be able to fight not only on their own, but also as part of a, a broader community. Marcus, it's been really good seeing you again. I'm really glad you could come on today. No, the, the pleasure is mine. I have one last question. If an American citizen can do one thing to combat the corruption that they have seen and that we have talked about today, what would it be? Well, they have to get involved. And that takes a lot of different forms. All politics is local. And so, you know, they need to start on their local level, get involved in the election process, be an informed voter, and actually get out and vote. But also they need to help those that are in positions to, to make things happen that, that, you know, the average person may not have access to. And so specific to our organization, you know, we're, we're the only organization of insiders fighting for reform from, from the inside out. And so, you know, even if you're not a, a federal worker, a federal employee, a federal contractor, you can still join our organization and support our efforts because we do need, you know, our, our members are the ones that are in the unique position to identify problems within the government. But then we have to have the resources to be able to do something about it. And we have a lot of members who see a lot that is going on within the we government do. Do. that is not right. So if you want to help America, help 
the government reform itself, supporting our organization is a good place to start. It is. Because we see it and we can do something about it, but we need resources to do something about it. Thank you so much for coming on, Marcus. It was great to see you. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Hold the line. Honor first. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And of course, share this episode. Visit our website at fedsforfreedom.org. I'll see you next time.